Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. First Line brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello, everyone. This episode is for medical students, especially medical students in their third year or at the start of their fourth year. If you are listening to this episode after the 2023 to 2024 cycle, some of this information may be different, but a lot of it is going to be pretty similar, especially the general information about the application and how to fill it out, but some of it might be different, such as the specific dates. I applied to ERAS in the 2022 to 2023 cycle, and there are changes that are going to affect the next cycle, the 2023 to 2024. So, I cannot predict any future changes to happen, so I'm hoping that this episode is still helpful for future years. However, some things may change, so make sure you go to the the AAMC website, aamc.org, to really fact-check this episode if you're listening to it in the future. I was going to have an episode later in, like, the summer around when ERAS applications open up for the next cycle, But I thought it was helpful to have an episode earlier on, and maybe I will still do an episode later, but I wanted to at least have this episode pretty early because I think third-year students and even students earlier than third-year can start planning for ERAS because this is really the biggest application cycle of your life, so... It's choosing where you're going to be for the next three to seven years. It's a big deal. And you really want to put your best foot forward. So I wanted to talk about the recently released changes to the next cycle and just my thoughts on how that's going to impact things uh, versus my, my own cycle. And I want to talk about really what goes into the application so that you can start preparing if you find that you have some downtime here and there before you're in the season of doing sub-internships at the same time as trying to get letters of recommendation together and trying to apply for residency. So why would you listen to me? So again, I am a current fourth-year student as I'm recording this. I just went through this process less than a year ago. And I did pretty well. I was very happy with how the interview season went for me. I will not really share specifics at this point because it is, I'm recording this in February before the match has happened. So I don't want to share exact specifics of what programs I interviewed at or anything like that. But I will just say that I received enough interview invites that I was able to comfortably 
decline some of my interview invites. Not a lot of students can really say that. So a lot of students, they get to 10 interviews and they start to feel a little bit better, but I got a lot more than that and I was able to decline interviews because I had so many, I felt comfortable giving up those interview slots to students who did not get as many interviews as me. So I was very fortunate in that. I'm not doing this to brag. I do credit my experience this cycle with having a really solid CV and ERAS application and really investing a lot of time to the process. I really wanted to put my best foot forward. I wanted to go to the best program for me. I wanted to have my pick of the litter, essentially. And I didn't want to know that I had to settle for a program that I was less interested in because I didn't put in the time for my ERAS application. And so part of that is the ERAS application itself. Another part of that is getting really solid letters of recommendation, which you can start working on now as a third-year student. So really, your success starts now. I don't care if you're listening to this episode in your third year or even in your first year. Your preparation starts now with getting good grades in your first and second years. And in third year, really performing well on clinical rotations, asking for good letters of recommendation. I can also credit my success to getting together a really great personal statement. And I'm going to have a dedicated episode talking about personal statements. This is so important and so many people just settle for having an average personal statement when they could just put in a little bit more time to really rise above and have an outstanding personal statement that stands out among the rest and will get you interviews that you would otherwise not get. And in some specialties, more than others, they really highly regard the personal statement. So this will depend on what your specialty is, but certainly having an outstanding personal statement that you put the time in is can only really help you. So that is something that I'm going to talk a lot more about. But today's episode really focuses on ERA. So let's get into it. I am now providing personalized assistance specifically to medical students. I can help with editing your CV for away rotations or other opportunities. I can aid in revisions for your personal statement. And when the time comes, I can help you edit your ERAS application. I am uniquely positioned to help you as someone who has been through this process myself in the last year or two, and as someone with professional writing and editing experience. In addition to listening to my past episodes with tips on navigating applications, use the link in this episode description to learn more about the services I offer for individualized help. So I want to first just talk about the rough timeline. So this is a rough timeline because they didn't even release the timeline for the 2023 to 2024 cycle. I'm only discussing this based off of last cycle's timeline, which usually doesn't deviate too much. So it's good just to have this on your radar of when you should start thinking about certain things. So for 
residency program, so it's going to be different if you're applying to fellowship. I'm only talking about first year PGY1 residency positions. So in the spring, your school is going to get you registered for ERAS. And you can really log in at some point and put in like your contact information, but you're largely restricted. The season itself starts on June 8th. You have access to the full application. Though at any time, you can go to the aamc.org and they have worksheets available for the application. So you can look at what it looks like and start planning what information to put in. You can do that anytime. You can just download that PDF even now. Then September 7th was when residency applications opened, so you can actually submit. And then September 28th was when residency programs can start to review your application. So that's essentially the deadline because you want to be in the residency program's first batch of applicants. You do not want to submit after the date where programs can view your application because they may have already sent out their first round of interviews. So you want to really treat that as the deadline, but that's never the real deadline. You can always add programs and you can modify your personal statement um, at any time, but you probably have to update programs to let them know that you added them later and you would probably want to provide an explanation in why that why that was and you would want to update them if you, for whatever reason, updated your personal statement. But you really do want to aim for everything to be done, uploaded on September 28th or whatever the date is that residency programs can start downloading applications. So that's the timeline. Now I want to talk about what is different about the next application cycle and how I think this is going to change things. So the first major change is that instead of having an unlimited number of experiences that you can enter in, you can have up to 10 experiences. So, I am one of those applicants that had well over 10 experiences. I, I believe I had 21 experiences altogether. And those experiences include volunteer experience, which includes strict, what you would think of, volunteering, uh, community service, outreach activities, things like that, but also what most people would consider as leadership experience or extracurricular experience. I included one volunteer experience that was from undergrad, but all of the other ones were from medical school. I had 13 volunteer experiences altogether. And then I had research experience. So research experience, I had two of these, one from medical school, one from undergrad that I use in. And then work experience, I had six of those and and one of them was from medical school. The other five were from undergrad. For all categories, this is more than what the average is for my intended specialty. So I made sure that all of these experiences were high quality. I actually had a lot more, especially work experience and volunteer experience. 
that I chose not to include because it would have diluted the experience that I did have. So I was actually pretty picky with it, but I made sure that the numbers really were an above average number compared to my peers that have gone into my specialty in previous years. So I used NRMP data. So if you go to the NRMP website and you go to data and statistics, if you go to the charting outcomes in the match senior students of USDO or USMD medical students, you can see the histograms for whatever specialty you're interested in and it will show you what the most common number of experiences in any of these categories are. So I made sure that I was always above average, but then I was not including everything. I was cutting it down so that I could use the highest quality, but I made sure I was still above average. So this made me more competitive because when some programs do their initial review, some programs may be counting how many experiences you have and they may be prioritizing applications that have more experiences than applications that only have one or two of each category. So I think that was helpful for me, especially as a DO student from a lesser known school and a newer school. I'm going to be the sixth graduating class. It really helped me to be competitive and at least get eyes on my application and be given serious thought because a lot of the programs I applied to, they received over a thousand applications. So it was really important for me to to use these experiences in this section of ERAS to my benefit. But now that they are limiting you to 10 experiences, you can't really use this as a strategy anymore. Everyone's going to have the same amount of experiences because certainly you do not want to stop at 9. If you're given 10, give them 10. But now the problem is, how can I be competitive if everyone is placed on the same even playing field. Unfortunately, this does mean it's harder for students like me who do have an exceptional CV and have a lot of experiences. It's harder for us to become competitive. And it's probably going to be harder for some residency programs to review applications because they can't use this as a metric. However, it's going to reduce some of the reading they have to do because everyone only has 10 experiences. It's less to read. So it might be beneficial in the long run, who knows, in the next year after they trial this, they may decide to go back to how it was before. But what is going to be important now is to make sure that your 10 experiences are chosen wisely. Another change is that you will define the experience type, volunteer, work, professional organization, or hobby. So this kind of expands the experience types. So for me, the experiences were volunteer, work, and research. So now research is no longer an experience. You can just put that in the research category. However, volunteer and work, they are still there. Professional organization is going to be probably where you're going to put your leadership experience and your extracurriculars. Now volunteer is just going to be actual volunteer like community service so it definitely clears up for a lot of people applicants and program directors included 
This episode of First Line is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. I decided to partner with TrueLearn because it is the only company I trusted for preparation for Comlex Level 1 and Level 2. Each TrueLearn SmartBank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE SmartBank. If you are in your third year, TrueLearn also offers SmartBanks for shelf exams and Comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. So for work experience, this is usually the category that medical students usually don't have too much of because the vast majority of us are not working during medical school. So if you're going to use anything, it's probably going to be from your gap year or from your undergrad experience. For me, the work experiences that I included, I can talk more in depth about this in a later episode, but I had one work experience from medical school that was a new position that I started in fourth year, which I thought was really cool. It was, um, I'll just share, it was working for Doximity and being a luminary fellow, which is a great experience. I included that because it was something that I knew that I could talk about a lot on interviews and it actually did come up a lot. I did not include every single work experience I had my whole life because That would have been so many different things, and I think I'm probably unique in that. I don't think that's everyone's experience, but I certainly chose quality over quantity here. It was important to me because uh, you can see your years spent in undergrad education and then also in medical school. Programs can tell that if you took a gap year. So if you took a gap year, it is so important for you to include your work experience during that gap year, if you did work during your gap year in your application and definitely include it as one of the 10. So for me, when I had unlimited, I've spoken about this before um, in an episode about uh, applying to medical school and taking gap years, that I had four different jobs. I included three of them because I think three of them were things that I could talk about in interviews. The last one wasn't as as helpful to include. So I include three of those jobs. Being a group fitness instructor, working as an administrative assistant for my township building, and then being a tutor. And uh, I am really into teaching, and so it was important for me to include that tutoring experience anyway. So another thing that you can do if you didn't take a gap year is to include any work experience that you had during undergrad. And I think it's helpful to include at least one work experience that you've had because it can demonstrate to programs that you have teamwork skills, that you have a good work ethic outside of academics, that you can study for a test, you can do well, and you can do well in clinical rotations, but not only that, you can also have a something like a customer service job or whatever else you were employed as. So I included two 
work experiences that I had in undergrad, and these were both co-ops. I went to Northeastern University, which is known for their co-op program. So they were both six-month internships that I was paid for. So I thought that both really showed that I am comfortable doing, you know, a nine-to-five or whatever hours I had uh, showing up every day, I was able to report to a supervisor, I was able to fulfill my duties, and this was completely outside of medicine. I think programs really value that kind of hard work if you have it. If you need to go back as far as high school, if you have literally no zero work experience from medical school, any gap year you took, or undergrad, I would include something from high school because you don't want any section in ERAS to be completely empty. You want something to be there. And it's really just to show that you've you've had something going on outside of medicine. And I think a lot of times what types of work experiences we seek out when we do have to make some money kind of shows a little bit of our personality as well versus a lot of the, you know, the volunteer opportunities, the leadership, being president of this club and being the research assistant for this project, that only really shows so much about us. So I think this section is very much overlooked and I definitely would reserve at least one of your 10 experiences to a work experience. So volunteer experience, I would choose the one that is most longitudinal if you have something like that. So I used one where it was a once monthly commitment for a few years. So that's what I mean by longitudinal versus a one day event. But if the best you have is a one day event that happened yearly for two or three years, then I would include that one. If it was something like a week long project, then I would include that one versus the one day events. And then hobby. So this was something that I never really included as an experience. There's still going to be a section where you can talk about your interests. But I think if you have a really substantial hobby that is an experience in itself, you can include it as your top 10 experiences. For example, me being a podcaster. I think that this is enough of a part of my life and a part of my medical school journey that if I was applying this year, I would be including it as one of my top 10 experiences. Whereas my other hobbies like playing video games and running and going to different restaurants, those would not really be experiences, but they can still go in my interest section. So for this, you do really want to include at least one of each. You want to include one volunteer, one work, one professional organization, and one one hobby if you can. I would say if you really don't have a hobby that you can really stretch into experience, I would say you can think back to undergrad or even earlier if you want to talk about what you've done in the past. Like for example, for me running, I have completed a marathon before so I could easily include my running as an experience and talk about my my marathon as more of detail of the experience but certainly don't feel stretched to include hobby I really don't know how programs are going to look at that 
try to also steer towards experiences that connect to your specialty of choice. If you were the treasurer of a student organization in your second year of medical school and you're not even interested in that specialty anymore, I wouldn't include it unless you are lacking experiences and you can't be as picky. But if you have a bunch of other leadership experiences and volunteering, then that might be one that you can just let go of because it doesn't even relate to your specialty. And maybe you can't really talk about being treasurer of that organization as much as you can other experiences that you had. The next change is that is kind of related that you can select your top three most meaningful experiences of the top 10. So really you want to choose the three that you're most proud of, the ones that are really unique and ones that you can talk a lot about in in the interview trail or ones that that are really tied to your specialty that really show your interest in the specialty because I can see a lot of programs as they go through applications they'll only read the these three to start with and decide whether they want to read the rest of your application. Another change is that they're going to collect more information about your experiences so they're going to ask about your position, the organization, the time frame, the location. And the frequency of participation, whether that was one time, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or annually. So I think the only difference here is that they're asking about the frequency of participation instead of just the range of dates and the number of hours per week. So you could kind of infer a lot of the information about how often it is, but um, I think it's going to be a lot more clearer so you can say This was something that I did once a week, and this is something that I did every day. So for each experience, it's going to ask what is the key characteristics. It's going to ask you the setting, whether it was in a rural, suburban, or urban setting. And so this will help programs, especially programs in rural areas. They want to see that you've had experience in rural areas. You're not completely new to the idea of working in a rural area. Same thing with urban and hopefully you can have one of each of these ideally but I know that the definitions of what counts as rural, what's suburban versus urban, it's a gray area but just use your best judgment and try to make yourself appear well-rounded with that. So previously the experiences description field has been a free-for-all I chose to use paragraph form. It's probably 50-50. The other 50% of people use bullets, kind of like more like a CV. I liked to be able to tell a story with my experiences, so I liked more of the paragraph form. But the update is going to be that you're going to use short descriptions focused on critical information like your roles, responsibilities, and context. What that means, I don't really know at this point. I would love to see how the new worksheet is going to be updated to look like. But that's just something to think about when you're thinking about what to include with your experiences. Know that you're going to be asked to include a short description of role, responsibility, and context. And then the last few are changes to the collection of geographic information. So before the hometown was a free text, non-standardized format. 
but now it's going to be standardized with country, state, city, postal code, and setting. This location information is the same that are used for each of your experiences as well as your education. So your undergrad and medical school. Then lastly, there's going to be an area where you can have the option to share your geographical preference with programs. So this is going to be based off of U.S. regions. So this was something that was limited to the supplemental application, but now will be part of the main application. I have run out of time with this, but I will for sure have another episode closer to application season where I'll walk through the application a little bit more in detail the different parts of the application. Hopefully, the updated worksheet will be out by that time, and I can give a little bit more specific tips and talk about my my experience. So, I hope this was helpful. Again, if you're listening to this after the 2023 to 2024 cycle, things might be a little bit different, and as I said before, the timeline that I used was consistent with what it was during the 2022 to 2023 cycle. So I cannot promise that those dates are going to be the same in future years. You can follow Firstline on Instagram at Firstline Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Firstline Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.